Well, today we finish up a three-week uh, run where we've been in entitled Living the Call Together. And uh, the call is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing, teaching everyone uh, to be able to obey and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I uh, have been working through a pamphlet that some of you probably brought. Did any of you bring this? I, I, I just am doing a vote. Hey, you happen to bring this. I'm very proud of you. You are good students. But I expect 95% of you didn't, and it's true. And so uh, I'm going to have the ushers just uh, pass out the baskets, grab a hold of one of these, at least every other one. There's a couple things I want us to look at in um, this handbook that we've been walking through. And uh, this uh, logo that you have before you uh, is the logo actually of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I've made mention, just pass them down the rows, and then they'll have to take them. There you go. Is pass them down the rows, pick it up, because there's some responsive reading that you need to have this pamphlet for in a little bit, and so you'll need to have one. Uh, we are going to um, uh, just give a, a little bit of a reflection on the bigger picture again, that we are called to live out um, the calling of God together, not just at a local level, but even a bigger a broader picture level. And we are part of a movement called the Alliance. I've made mention of that. I'm going to repeat it again. Why? Because when you repeat things, people start to remember things. And uh, when I'm uh, very myopic, a lot of times I try to I get myself expanded again, and I'm seeking to do that with you. But if you'll take this handbook, in the middle of the handbook, um, and then turn to one page to the right, you will find this logo in this handbook. And uh, this logo, part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, the move we're part of, and uh, it says this, the Christian Missionary Alliance is an alliance of evangelical believers committed to world missions, stressing the fullness of Christ and preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. That sounds an awful lot like our mission statement at the awakening, which is becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Why? Because in reality... Not because we're just a part of this broader movement uh, around the globe, but that's what God calls the church to do. You take the great commandment, you take the great commission, and you sum it up, and that's what we're to do, is to draw closer to God and to draw upon Him to fulfill the mission that He set before us. And over the last couple of the weeks, I've challenged you to consider becoming a participating member of the Awakening Church. And many of you have taken action on that. Uh, we have not had formal charter membership into this church yet. And close to 100 of you as adults have uh, made mention that you'd like to be members. So thanks for that initiative. And hopefully this week you received a letter from me as well as a membership covenant for you to fill out and for you to return. And if you've got those today, you can return them. If not, you can return them uh, in the weeks ahead. But uh, I want to say thanks for doing that. And if you're here this morning, you're like on the outside looking in and going, I haven't been here for the last couple of weeks. It's all in your little handbook here. Go back and listen to... Uh, one of the last two talks in particular, and uh, be able to walk yourself through that participating membership process. On the back of your connection card is a place just to uh, write membership. Well, on the front, you can check membership, and we'll be in touch with you, and I'll send you the letter and the membership covenant that I sent to others this week. But we are a part of the Alliance movement, a broader movement, and in that movement, um, there are uh, a lot of missionaries in a lot of countries, a lot of churches have been established and are being established, and um, there um, is good reason to celebrate and be glad in what God has done in 125 years of this church's uh, denomination's movement, but there's a lot more yet to do. 
In fact, a couple weeks ago, I had you listen to um, a video blog from the current president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, John Stumbo, when he was uh, doing the blog from New York City and talking about that's where the movement began from. And to, uh, to sort of lead into what I want to share this morning for us, and we're going to be sharing a passage of Scripture, I believe, that sort of brings things together and culminates a challenge for us today. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table and draw near to Him and to be able to celebrate His presence and join our midst. Um, I decided to do another blog. And you're going like, really? Um, and this one came this week. And it helps you get to know a little bit on a personal level, um, the president of uh, the Alliance Movement a little bit more. But more importantly, he, um, he outlined something in the latter part of the talk that you're going to hear about here that I just want to launch from and be able to challenge us for today. So this is John Stumbo, um, current president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He was brought into this position a year ago this month at General Council in Florida. And he's on a journey, and uh, he is going to be sharing with you some words uh, from his June video blog. And we'll jump into the talk. Hey team, it's great to be with you again. A lot's happened since I talked to you last month, at least in the Stumbo family. Our oldest child, Anna, graduated with a physical therapy degree from a university in Denver and then moved with her husband to Jersey City, New Jersey. Our son Josiah and his wife Sarah made us grandparents in the last few weeks. Little Silas John Stumbo arrived three months early, weighing in at two pounds, four ounces, a 13-inch bundle of awesome, according to his parents. We haven't got to see him yet, but uh, we're very grateful that he's uh, doing remarkably well for a child of that size. You know, praying that soon he'll be able to breathe and, and eat on his own and in good time. But we're excited to be grandparents. And this is number eight of 11 district conferences that I'm part of. I've been very pleased to get to meet many of you in person. Thank you for the kind comments about the, these video blogs as a way of being feeling connected with what's going on in the CMA and us getting to know each other in this manner. Also through the couple of times of prayer that we had corporately by way of live stream, I'm, I'm encouraged that many of you are feeling more and more connected uh, to the Alliance. And it's been a real pleasure to see you face-to-face at your conferences. This conference is actually in Puerto Rico, where if I was an intelligent president, you'd think that I would stay more than a day and a half in a place like Puerto Rico. But trying to get to so many places uh, with the district conferences happening in a short period of time, this is the best that I could do. But it's been fun to get to know the Puerto Rican expression of the Christian Missionary Alliance, 114 years old, almost as old as the CMA itself, the Puerto Rican Alliance Church, 64 churches now, and they have their eyes set on planting two more on a couple of islands that, that are just off the Puerto Rican coast, and so very excited about God's vision through the Puerto Rican Church to continue to extend the ministry in these underreached areas of Puerto Rico. The seminary here is growing strong, a fully accredited seminary, and a chaplaincy ministry happening in spite of almost 14% unemployment. The Local churches have given almost a quarter million dollars to the Great Commission Fund this last year. And, and just so many healthy expressions. Uh, even the youth ministry is, uh, is very alive. The area youth director planning for 2016 life already, hoping to send the largest group that they've ever sent to a life conference. So it's just been fun to get to know these local leaders. One of the churches recently baptizing 15 new believers. And, and so there's just good excitement here in Puerto Rico. And I'm excited about this expression of the Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. 
So I'm feeling really honored to get to do what I do and meet the people I get to meet. A year ago right now, however, I was just one of the nominees. I didn't have this privilege yet. And I want to tell you a few things that were going on in my heart a year ago. I was fascinated to watch brothers that could have easily become the president if they had allowed their name to stand. They could have been the ones standing before you right now. That one by one, they stepped aside, believing that God had directed them to not let their name stand. I felt like I was on an episode of Gomer Pyle or something where the sergeant asked for volunteers and everybody else backs away and he's left standing out there. God wouldn't let me say no. But what was happening in my heart was very fascinating. A, a burden came upon me, a heavy burden, emotional. I, I began to picture unreached people groups that, that I was very aware that what happens in an office like the President's Office of the Christian Mystery Alliance over the course of time has direct impact on whether or not those unreached people groups get to hear the name of Jesus, at least through, through our efforts, through our work. I became aware of the next generation that what happens in an office like a president's office in the Christmas Alliance has direct impact over the course of time of whether the next generation wants to engage in the church and participate in the, in the cause that we're part of. I thought about organizations that in my lifetime had strayed from the gospel and strayed from the authority of the Word of God, that in one generation they had, they had drifted in dramatic and horrendous kind of ways. And I became very aware that what happens in an office like the President's office impacts, the, uh, over the course of time, the direction of an entire movement. Unreached people groups, the rising generations, the, the holding steady to the Word of God, uh, the significance of this role. Not that one president dictates all of that by no means, but, but being very aware that the style and type of leadership, the themes that are emphasized, the, the commitments that are made, the way that money is spent, the leaders that are raised up, over the course of time, uh, there is a direct impact between what happens in offices like ours and <laughs> nations unreached peoples. The weight, the weight of that was substantive. In fact, my wife began to get concerned about me and approached me one day and said, John, do you really think you can handle the presidency? If you're not even elected president, you're already feeling this heavy. In God's mercy, on a particular stretch of interstate, as I was traveling, doing some ministry, God met me with Psalm 40, verse 8, which says, It gives me pleasure to do your will, O Lord. I delight in doing your will. The fascinating thing of that passage is it's quoted again in Hebrews chapter 10, implying that Jesus himself said those words pre-incarnation. Leaving the Father in heaven and to come to earth as the divine Son of God, Jesus evidently says, it gives me pleasure to do your will. I delight in doing your will. I knew as God gave me that word, that, that verse, that, that it was no sacrifice uh, compared to what Christ had done for, for me to give up my simple life that I was living to take on the leadership responsibility of the CMA. But 
But more significant than that was that, that with that river of burden that was flowing through my heart, he joined a second river to it, like the confluence of two bodies of water. And that second river that joined it on that stretch of interstate that day and that has remained till this day was a river of joy. What a fascinating combination in my heart. Burden, deep burden, joy, rich joy coming together. I think that sometimes in Christmas Airlines history, we have misunderstood John 3.16. Thinking that it says, for God, so, for God was so burdened for the world that He gave His one and only Son. No, you know what the verse says. God so loved this world. Yes, burden is a significant aspect of the heart of God, and burden must be a significant aspect of, of our ministry. But the lostness of man alone if that's all that's beating in our heart, that's not sustainable. None of us can minister long-term under that kind of weight. But when that weight is matched with the joy, or, or, if, or, or if you just want to use the simple word love, that when it's genuine love that's arising in our hearts and concern for the world, in, in, a, in a loving, joyful, life-giving kind of way, that's sustainable. Love is sustainable. Burden alone is not. Maybe you don't think that my personal experience of burden and joy makes a very good definition of love. Well, that's fine. But for me, those two rivers flowing together has been what has propelled me in these, these months. Convinced that what we do is of great significance and holding true to the Scripture, and reaching next generations, and reaching unreached people groups, and in all the things that you're participating in as a local church, church planting and discipleship, and the various aspects of your local church's expression of the body of Christ. So here's my question to you this morning. Have you ever received a burden from God to do a work for God? Have you ever received a burden from God to do a work for God? And then I just ask you, how are you doing with it? Because it's not easy to take on a burden that God gives you and sustain a caring spirit and an active engaged life concerning that burden for a long period of time. If, you are merely serving God out of duty rather than passion. If you're serving God out of duty rather than passion, then that burden becomes such a weight for you over the course of time that you end up discarding it, moving out from underneath the weight of it, or maybe just ignoring it. And I like what Dr. Stumbo says. You cannot sustain ministry concerning the burden of reaching lost people and doing God's work if you don't also have another conjoining stream in your life of the joy and the love of Jesus. So when we talk about living the call together, I get excited. I, I just love the phrase. That's why I coined the phrase to use for this series, and, and I love serving this church and challenging us. But when I think about living the call together, there's part of me that goes, oh my goodness, 
Will the awakening people get weary in well-doing? And the burden, I believe, that God wants us to carry for reaching people in this valley. You know, one of the reasons I think maybe I have a little bit of affinity with uh, Dr. Sumbo is, is some of a timing element in our lives together. And, and I've known of him, and he has a powerful testimony in his own life, and uh, pastor and youth pastor in his early years, and some of the district superintendent involvement that he's a part of uh, later on. But uh, it was a year ago that my wife and I were in this uh, quandary of where we were to be involved at in ministry. And so when we were at council and he was elected president, I sort of identified with the change in the guard and all that was going on with that. And uh, we left council. Some of you know this. And I came out here, took, brought the, some of the family out here to visit uh, my son that was in college at Azusa at APU. And um, I have known our district superintendent, Bill Malik, for a period of time. And, and we were talking uh, at council about possibilities maybe of doing some stuff in Southern California maybe. And I said, hey, I'm going to be out there. And he says, well, come and see me. And I said, well, where are you? And he says, I'm in a place called Marietta. I'm going, where in the world's that? And I remember getting in a car with Melissa and we were driving down the 15 for the first time into a valley that I'd never experienced before. And it, it seemed pretty cool, nice and new and those kinds of things. But um, it was a year ago this time. Um, and in a strange way, God began to work on our hearts and lay on us a burden to come here, and we never even knew it. This church at that time wasn't going through particular transition, and uh, actually had uh, uh, connected with Dave Reynolds, the founding pastor, again this week. And Dave and I were chatting a little bit, and I said, "Hey, Dave, you know, you you left in August of last year. Remember?" And he says, "Yeah." He says, "That's hard to believe. It's almost been a year." And you know, time just moves on. God called him to move into a larger role with the Alliance Concerning Church Planning, and then and, and God led us to come here. And so, I know what it's like to be given a burden. Even sometimes a burden you don't want to grab a hold of, right? But God says, this is my will for your life. Each one of us in this room, God wants to place a burden on your heart to be involved in His kingdom's work. And maybe it's in a very visible way, maybe in it's a small um, not so visible kind of manner. But he has called you to reach out to people. He's called you to share the gospel, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. And that may be the people group that you hang with and go to the movies with. It may be the people group that's at you know, your work environment. It may be a people group that's overseas in another land. It may be a people group that's sort of untouched even in the own Riverside County area. I don't know, but God wants to use your life because He has called you, and He's called you not as only an individual, He's called you as a team member of a larger body. And I believe He's called you to be a part of this body. And we together are living this call. But if we live the call, taking on the burden of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're merely serving out a duty over the course of time, we'll become weary and well-doing. So what's, what's the next new thing we can do around here? But if we choose to draw near to God, as this table represents today and our time of communion will culminate with, if we choose to draw near to God, I believe He begins to keep those streams, those rivers of joy, the rivers of love flowing through our hearts so that we can match the calling that He's put us to. All of us have been in a no-end job situation maybe sometimes, even if it's a little side job and you're like, I'm ready to be done with this. 
I get concerned when I see Christians that say, I'm ready to be done with, you name it. And it may be, I'm ready to be done with church. And sometimes I have to say, well, have we strayed away from coming back to the formative things of our faith and allowed the truth of our faith, allowed the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit himself to lift us? Do, do we put the wrong thing forward from one to another? And if we're going to live the call together, I just simply want to say to you that we have to come together and realize the substance of our faith and the depth and the breadth of the opportunity we have to know God. And that compels us to do His work. The passage I want us to look at is found in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, let me pause there for a second. He is exhorting the writer to the Hebrews, and we don't know who the writer is. Some people think it's Paul, but most likely, well, we just don't know. It could be, it could be not, but it's sort of written in a different style. It's a letter written to Hebrews who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. So this is a Christian letter, if you will, to Jewish people. And they had a whole culture of religiosity, of religion that they carried with them trying to be and found in the presence of God. And so he's exhorting them. The therefore is always put there because you can say, what's it there for? All right. So before that, he's exhorting them about this new day of what life in Christ means compared to the way that they've been carrying their religion with the, the Hebrew faith. And he says, because of this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching. Now let me give you a little bit of picture of what they were involved in if they came through their Jewish history. They were involved in a lot of what we would perceive as ritual worship. There was the sacrifice that was required of, of a lamb or some animal and then the, sh- the blood from that animal was used then in a cleansing kind of ritual to say that they could have standing before God. So in the Old Testament tabernacle and later on then with the temple, you had this place where they would come and they would offer their sacrifices and worship God. So this was their culture. This was their life. Instead of you getting in your car and driving to a little retail area and coming in and saying hi to everyone, giving some you know, good handshakes, happy Dad's Day, that kind of deal. Oh, we're going to sing some songs and have the word. What they would do, they would go to the tabernacle or the temple and they would bring with them the sacrifice and they would walk into this environment. It was really three places. There was the outer court. Then there was the Holy of Holies or the sanctuary. And then there was the most holy place. In the outer court... There was the brazen altar, and then there was the laver. The brazen altar is where the animals were slaughtered, and the blood was shed and received. And then the laver was this big bowl where the priests would wash their hands in in a cleansing kind of way. And so that's what happened in the outer court. In the, the middle part, in the, most holy, in the Holy of Holies place, there was, uh, there was, uh, there was another altar. 
Um, and there was the uh, uh, lampstand, and there was the showbread. I won't get into all those details, but all these things are symbolic of uh, not just worshiping of God and certain references. They were also foreshadowing what Christ would end up doing when he came. Then you had the most holy place. And the most holy place had the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what a lot of you are thinking, I know. And, you know, but it was the presence of God was in the Ark. And you didn't touch the Ark or mess with it in an unholy way, or, or you just weren't going to be found alive. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And what it was was a gold-plated covering that had two uh, cherubim, angels, facing one another. And it was believed that in the middle of those angels, on the mercy seat, which was over the Ark of the Covenant, was it, which was in the most holy place, that was in that place that the presence of God Almighty existed. Now remember, in them coming out of Egypt, the Shekinah glory, the pillar of fire that followed and went ahead of them. Well, you think in terms of this, that literally this was true. The presence of God was in that place. And only one person was allowed in that place one time a year. The high priest went into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat as a cleansing as a sacrifice, so that he would be clean, so his family would be clean, so all the Jewish people would be clean. And you dare not be irreverent in that place because you could die, and some high priest did. The presence of God. So when they came to worship, they would offer these sacrifices, but they couldn't come near the presence of God. That wasn't a privilege that they had. Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. <laughs> Here's my thing. Do not become commonplace with the faith that you came to proclaim here this morning. And do not find yourself far from the God who came to be near and close to you through the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus Christ did with His death and His shed blood on the cross and the blood that we will remember around the communion table today, what Jesus Christ did for you would have blown away the Old Testament people. Oh my goodness. We no longer have to bring these sacrifices. We get to go into the most holy place. You see, from the Holy of Holies to the most holy place was this very thick veil. It was about six inches thick. And that veil was rent from top to bottom when Jesus Christ was raised from the grave, symbolizing that all of us have the opportunity to have very access into the presence of God. 
And what we have to do in living the call together is to take on the burden of the kingdom, but may we not take on the burden of the kingdom and merely serve out of duty, but may we first come in love and adoration and worship together as a community, as a small group, as we go as families, whatever it may be. But may we love God richly because He has given us the opportunity that many longed and cried for their whole life. And He has given us the privilege in this country and you the position in your life wherever you're at right now that you're actually able to hear truth. That you're able to know that Jesus Christ is the high priest. That Jesus Christ did this great work for you. That He did not sin when He came. And that He opened up the throne room of the heavens. In fact, if you just go back one chapter from our uh, Hebrews um, 10 section to chapter 9, it says this. In verse 11, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Now this may all seem very... um, even preachy to you. Religious faith. But friends, we have to keep ourselves fresh with understanding the joy of our salvation through the finished work of the Lamb who was slain for our sins. And draw near to Him. And as we draw near to Him, we have the sustenance and life and we have the strength and life to live out the calling that He's placed before us. And so, as we bring this to a culmination, we head to the Lord's table. I exhort us to do what the writer to the Hebrews exhorted those Christians to do on the heels of this. And there's five things. There's five let us that are listed in this passage. Do you see them? Let's go back to Hebrews 10.19. It says this, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a greater great priest over the house of God, therefore let us, let us, verse 22, draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Is what I want to say to you with this let us. Let us acknowledge, let us lean into a faith that we have, a faith through Jesus that joyously brings us near to God. Remind yourself, remind yourself, even as you come, remind yourself on a Sunday morning what incredible work that God has done for us that we get to do this. We get to come into His presence. We get to worship Him. We get to understand that we have not only the forgiveness of our sins, but we have life in us through the Holy Spirit. And we have an eternal destiny. We get to do this. Let us, let us acknowledge that we have a faith through Jesus that joyously brings us to God and never become commonplace with the opportunity that's symbolized by the table experience today. Let us. Now, I want you to go back to that handbook. Last page of this handbook. Last page of this handbook is a statement of faith and beliefs. 
I'm going to have us read this together, out loud. Any of you grow up in a church where they have creeds that you recited? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, all right? Why do we do that in churches, some of us? Because those creeds embodied our belief, all right? This statement of faith is nothing sacred in and of itself, like uh, maybe some creeds would be, but it is an official statement of ownership of those who are in the alliance, living the call together, saying, this is what we believe. And so this is what we believe as a body. There may be nuances of some of these things. You're like, what does that really mean? But it, this, is a, this is a straightforward, evangelical, Christ-centered statement of faith. And as a participating member of the church, you would have the statement of faith to be true of your life. And not only that you would believe up here in your head, but you would try to live it out through your life. So here we go. I'll say the number, then we're going to repeat it together. What's there? We won't go through all the verses, all right? So we're just reading the words. Here we go. Number one. There is one God who is infinitely perfect, existing externally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Two. Jesus Christ is the true God and the true man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He died upon the cross, the just for the unjust, as a substitutionary sacrifice. And all who believe in Him are justified on the ground of His shed blood. He arose from the dead according to the Scriptures. He is now at the right hand of the Majesty is high. Very good. Yeah, I was just seeing if you're participating. <laughs> Number three, the Holy Spirit is a divine person sent to dwell, guide, teach, empower the believer, and convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Four, the Old and New Testament, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of His will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. 5. Man was originally created in the image and the likeness of God. He fell through disobedience, incurring thereby both physical and spiritual death. All men are born with a sinful nature, are separated from the life of God, and can be saved only through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The portion of the unrepentant and unbelieving is in existence forever in conscious torment, and that of the believer in everlasting joy and bliss. 6. Salvation has been provided through Jesus Christ for all men, and those who repent and believe in Him are born again of the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of eternal life and become the children of God. 7. It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sanctified holy, being separated from sin and the world and fully dedicated to the will of God, thereby receiving power for holy living and effective service. This is both a crisis and a progressive experience wrought in the life of the believer subsequent to conversion. 8. Provision is made in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the healing of the mortal body. Prayer for the sick and anointing with oil are taught in the Scriptures and are privileges for the church in this present age. 9. The church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through His blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, which has been commissioned by God to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. The local body is a 
believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, edification through the Word of God, for prayer, fellowship, the proclamation of the Gospel, and observance of the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper. 10. There shall be a bodily resurrection of the just and of the unjust. For the former, a resurrection unto life. For the latter, a resurrection unto judgment. And finally, number 11. The second coming of the Lord Jesus is imminent and will be personal, visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope and is the truth sent it to holy living and faithful service. Woo! You did it! That's a lot of words! Guess what, though? They're not just words, are they? They're truth. You know the ISIS people that are marching on Baghdad with their guns would not believe in what you just said. Right? They have a different belief system. Pagans of the world would have a different belief system. For goodness sakes, your family members may have a different belief system or certain friends, or maybe you're here even questioning, is all that really true or not? Or that sounds nice, that's sort of religious. I guess it's a religious... uh, uh, meeting, so we should say something religious. Friends, this is not about religion. It's not about nice words. It's not high and lofty thoughts. This is life and substance of life. And this is what gives you hope for each day. Your faith is rooted on truth. Your faith is grounded in Christ and His finished work. And we carry forth the call of God upon our lives by the joy that we know we have in Him. For what is true. The second aspect of let us is this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised it is faithful. Friends, we have a faith of hope to actively grab hold of for each new day. When you get up every day, in fact, it could be a great Bible study for you. Take that whole statement of faith, look at those verses, interact with them. Maybe there's some nuances here, what do you really believe? But come to a fresh understanding and a fresh reminder of your faith. And hold unswervingly to that faith. I don't know why, but this word is just stuck in my... Because I just came through driving that rental truck 2,000 miles... I'm thinking to myself, hold unswervingly to the steering wheel because you don't want to wreck the vehicle, right? And I think sometimes we as Christians, we get a little loosey-goosey in what we think. Oh, a little bit of that relativism is sort of the end thing around here, right? Tolerance and everything. And so it's like, oh, that looks like I'm too exclusive if I really believe that. Exclusive. Friends, you've got to come to grips with what you believe. If you're a skeptic here today, you've got to come to grips with what you believe. Oh, that's nice what you believe, reading that statement of faith, you might say. But I would put it back to you. Well, what's your statement of faith? What do you believe is true in this world? And do you believe that because somebody told you that? Or somebody tried to remove some other belief system from your life? Why do you believe what you believe? But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you hold true to the Christian fundamentals of the faith that's revealed in the Scripture, and that is a hope for you that you need to hang on to tightly and not let it go. I read somewhere this week that they did an experiment once to see if uh, mice could have hope or not. And so the research is they took a group of mice and they put them in water. 
And they started flumming away, trying to swim for a while. And then they took another group and they put them in the water. And they were swimming away. Well, the first group, they just let them go. Do you know how long they lasted in the water till they drowned and died? One hour. The other group, what they did was every now and then, periodically, they would go in and they would just pluck the mouse out, the rat out, let it sit for just a few seconds, and then put it right back in. Do you know how long that group of mice lasted? Over 24 hours. And you might think, well, they got some rest. I don't know if that was really it. It was probably more, and that's what they were thinking, the reality that if they kept swimming, someone was going to come and grab them. They had hope that this thing could end. And sometimes I think we go underwater as believers and the responsibilities and things that are happening in life. Help me, help me, I'm going down. Well, you need to have some hope in your life. And you know what your hope is? It's not that, oh, some wishful thinking, because that's not hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's evidence of things that are not seen that are true. And there's a lot of things that are not seen as the Christian believer, but we know them to be true from Scripture and evidence throughout generations. That's the hope you need to grab a hold of. What is true for you as a believer? And what's true for you as a believer is you have access to draw near to God. And you can do that. Why is it exhorted to Christians to draw near to God? Because we slip away. And we're called to draw back, to draw near to God. You can draw near to God, hold unswervingly to this faith. What is it that you believe and rejoice in that? You know, there's certain days that I sort of have to come. I, I, I kick back to ideas like, wow, the Holy Spirit is actually inside of me right here. Because that's what the promise of God is. That I'll never leave you or forsake you. Well, the Holy Spirit is with me. And wow, do you know that God said he went to prepare a place for me and I get to see it? You know, we just moved into a, a new house, a place of residence. That's nice. You get it all fixed up. And by the time I move the furniture around three times, we're getting close. And so, just, no, we're good. And so, you know, you know, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, God's preparing a place for me and it's all going to be just right. But I grab a hold of that as truth, something I hold dear to. Okay? I need to move on with the other three and we need to get around the table quicker. But... The third is this. Let us then consider how we must spur one another. We may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We have a faith of action. Inspiring one another to love and service. Here's the reality, I believe, of this verse. It's hard for me to not see this verse in the context of small groups. We come here and we sort of encourage one another at some level. But friends, it's in living life out together that you really encourage one another. It's one of the reasons in our participating membership covenant we encourage you to have relationships of depth by being connected in a community group. We spur one another on, not by throwing guilt trips on one another, but by showcasing how to love and care for one another. When 20 people showed up at our house to help us unload in an hour, you know what that did for me? Not only just made me go, wow, I'm going to get to bed earlier tonight, but it was, man, that just inspires me. It inspires me to go and, and serve and encourage others who've encouraged me. We do that one with another. We live out the call together, allowing the joy of the truth of our faith into our life, and then we, from, from that position, Consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The next verse, let us then give up, not give up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I simply tag this line to it. We have a faith proclaimed by a community gathered in worship. 
I think it's pretty cool when we come to worship. Do you know that we always say go and proclaim? But do you realize when you gather, you're proclaiming? You are proclaiming the truth that we just spoke of from that statement, that we gather around the table, that we sing songs about the Lord. We are proclaiming to a world. Wow. Even if they're drive-bys. There's people meeting in church today. Why are they there? Because they love God and they're seeking to know Him more. So let us not give up meeting together. And then the last one. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We have a faith encouraging us in anticipation of Christ's return. When I was come to the table, this passage of Hebrews talking about the finished work, the faith that we have, the joy and the love that we have in Christ, I believe is what was in Paul's mind when he exhorted us to be obedient to this step of worship. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11:23, verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Picture Jesus at the Last Supper, knowing what was before him. He comes and he breaks the bread before them. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And they were about ready to see that. His body broken on a cross. And then he said, this is my blood. Representing, what does it say? This cup is the new covenant. What's the new covenant? It's the new day. You don't have to bring the sacrificial lamb. I will be the sacrificial lamb and I will open up the most holy place. And you will have direct access to be able to draw near to God. So he gave us the commandment to take of the elements, the bread and the cup, and to remember Him until He comes again. Friends, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But may you hold unswervingly to the hope that you have in anticipation, encouraging one another of the day that's to come. Because guess what? We, we get to draw near to God. And it's not this table. This table is symbolic of a spiritual experience that we gather together for every week. That you draw together as a family when you pray at night, when they go to bed, or you do as a small group. We get to do this. We get to live the call together, not out of mere duty and because God said so. We get to live the call together because God in His incredible love opened up access to be with Him. And that love compels us in a way to serve Him like none other. Friends, may we as a church called the awakening to a valley to bring people fully alive to Christ and to His mission, may we not merely serve out of duty, though there's a place where duty comes into play, but may we serve out of the passion and the love that we have for Him. So Chris is going to come. It's been an extended time, I know, in some of my teaching and sharing with Dr. Stumbo today. But we're going to give you moments to take 
of the elements together. And then we'll be closing with a song, and during that song, the offering is going to be received as well, as well as any commitments here to be a part of the membership of this body if you're interested. But may we take these moments just of instrumental acoustic guitar and then a song that's going to be sung to share around this table. We get to draw near. If you are a follower of Christ, it's an open table. You can come on both sides, take of the bread, dip it in the juice. You can return to your seats. You can go off and pray to the side, maybe with families, maybe with your dad. But these are your moments to draw near to him. For he has rescued you and allowed you to come into his very presence. We thank you, Lord. May we draw near to you and be filled with joy and love in your presence this hour.